What's up, Salt Company? How are we doing tonight? Love the energy. Can feel it. Um, I want to say hello. My name is Drake, and I am the director at Salt Company St. Paul. Before I get started, I just want to say a thank you to you guys. Like, the prayers that you guys have been putting in and the service that you guys have done is so incredible to now watch and see what God is doing at Salt Company St. Paul. Like, I, I know that this vision has been casted for a while to you guys, and now we got to join in on a fall retreat with you guys. We got to worship Jesus, and I met with a dude today, and he literally just told me, I thought following Christ was something I'd do later in life. Like, maybe I'd live it up in college, and then I would follow him, but now I realize that he actually offers me a better life now. Because that, that is the glory of Jesus working in people's lives. And so keep praying because God is doing amazing things all throughout this city. And, and he's doing it in this room as well. And so tonight we are going to be talking about the resurrection. And this has been something, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15 if you want. That's where we're going to be hanging out tonight. But this has been a debate for quite a while. It's caused a lot of disagreements and arguments, and many skeptics claim that there is no possible way that the resurrection could have taken place. And just to give you guys a definition of a skeptic, is a person who questions the validity or authenticity of factual claims. And so there's been two major kind of arguments against the resurrection. One of them, maybe it was this huge hallucination that a group of people experienced together. And when you just think about that, it kind of sounds weird. Like this huge group just went on this massive trip together and now believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But here's the thing about a hallucination. It is something that is experienced by an individual on their own that when they try to tell somebody about that, that person immediately becomes weirded out. And so how, if this is something that's non-transferable to someone else, how did Christianity spread so rapidly, starting with a group of people who had no political power at all? Or maybe the body was carried away by the disciples. Like these same disciples that, if you remember, three days later scattered because they were frightened to be connected to Jesus because he was hanging on a cross. And, and this theory doesn't add up too well. Because you picture these disciples like trying to sneak past the many guards that were placed in front of the tomb that literally their life depended on them guarding this tomb. Like their job in their life was if they could keep people away from the buried Jesus. So these people just snuck past them and then broke the seal that they had put on the stone and rolled away this two-ton stone from the grave, and then walked in, carried Jesus, and walked away nonchalantly, like, like nothing happened. That as well seems completely ridiculous. And, and what this is, is people making an attempt to process a miracle that took place at the resurrection, and the reason that this scene has been argued so greatly, and this is going to be the big idea for the night, that the Christian faith relies on the resurrection, and people want to dispute it because if they can prove it wrong, they can prove the rest of Christianity wrong as well. And so Paul is going to give his famous account 
at the evidence of the resurrection that it did actually happen. And if this is true, it makes following Christ worth everything. So let's start in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15. So it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but on the contrary, I worked harder There we go. Worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Hundreds of people gathered and saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul is saying, I am one of those people. But now he's he's going to transition a bit and talk about the Corinthians' faith in an extremely unique light. He's going to tell these Corinthians that the faith that you currently have is pointless. And so that brings us to our first point, a pointless faith. Let's continue to read on in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so what's happening in this church is that people are conversing and saying, I don't think that we as people actually rise from the dead. Like, how could that even happen? Therefore, this is the best life that we have to live. But at the same time, they're saying, I, yeah, I totally believe that Christ rise from the dead. And so what Paul is doing is he's pointing out the inconsistency that they're having, that they're saying, wait, so you believe we as people can't rise from the dead, but that Christ did himself. But I want to show you that if we as people are unable to rise from the dead, neither is it possible for Christ himself to be raised. And if Christ did not rise from the dead... Here's a a list of things and effects of that. He says that the preaching that I give to you is pointless. The faith that you have is pointless. That we are actually a liar because we said that God promised that we would be raised from the dead just like Jesus, but neither happened. That you are still in your sins. 
that those who have died and those who will die, the only thing coming is to perish. And because of that, because of that list of realities, if Christ did not rise, we are to be the most pitied amongst all people in the world. Like, think about that. How much brokenness does this world have? How much poverty is experienced? And Paul is saying, if Christ did not rise from the dead, you as a follower of Christ are to be the one that's felt the most sorry for in all of the world. Why? Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, death defeated him. And if he did not rise, he did not rise to give us the inheritance that he promised us. He did not go to the right hand of God to welcome us in. We are now a people living for a world that will never come. And we're giving up pleasures and joys in this life when it is the only life we have to live. We would be a people that everyone else in the world would feel sorry for. We would be putting our hope in a world after death where perishing is the only viable option. And so hear this. What, what Paul is saying is, if Christ did not rise from the dead, why are you wasting your time? If Christ did not rise, your faith is pointless. You should be like the rest of Corinth saying, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die if this life is all you have to live for. Okay, so for the business students in here, imagine I brought you a briefcase with all of the money I have. So I sell my, my cars, I sell, I don't know, I don't have that many great things, but I sell it and then I have all the money and I give it to you. And you're like, Drake, what do you want to do with that money? And I'm like, I want, an, I want to invest all of my money in Vine. And some of you might not even know what Vine is, and that's the point, kind of. Um, because you would say, hey, Drake, that company went under and was sold. It is no longer a company. It would be pointless for you to invest all of your money into something that you will never get any return from. And so what Paul is saying is that there is no point in living for Christ if he was defeated by death and does not have the promised future that he told us about. We should all get up and leave and never come back to another salt company if Christ did not rise from the dead. All of Christianity relies on the reality of the resurrection the resurrection reveals whether Christianity is worth everything or nothing at all. And so he's looking at the Corinthians and saying, well, since you don't believe that the resurrection actually happened, it makes sense that you're running after the pleasures of this world. Since you don't believe the resurrection happened, it makes sense that you're seeking power and status in your society rather than loving other people in your church. And I think Paul would have a similar thing to say to us. Because we can believe in the resurrection in our thought and in our theology, but practically at times, we can be walking around as skeptics, believing that the resurrection didn't actually happen. And so then, if we forget about the resurrection, we will be a people that will naturally drift 
to being people that say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's live it up here while we still can. And so if you are forgetting the resurrection, it makes sense that you want to go out and party and get drunk with your friends. It makes sense that you might even have something that you have a plan to go to after this where you're going to live recklessly. It makes sense that you want to experience all of the sexual desires in any way possible as quickly as you can. It makes sense that you have this dream future, that you are investing all of your time and energy to get the perfect job, to get the perfect house, and to get the perfect retirement. It makes sense that you are putting all of your stock in this life only if the resurrection didn't happen. If we are operating out of this belief, why would we pursue anything else than seeking everything this world has for us? Are you living your life in a way that communicates to the world that this life is the only one you have to live for? Are you living as if your faith is pointless? Let's read what Paul says next in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Our second point is about our resurrected life. That Christ has risen from the grave that he was certainly dead, that they poked his side and water and blood came out for them to confirm this man was dead. And they put him in a tomb where he laid breathless for three days. But then on that third day, his lungs again took a giant breath of air and then he stormed out of the tomb and it rolled, the stone rolled away and now the guards trembling because Jesus was who he said he was. And what Paul is wanting us to see is that if Christ raised from the dead, you will as well. Like there's this intimate connection that Jordan talked about last week that we have been united with Christ, that we are now one with him. And so the reality that he rose from the dead is confirmation and certainty that we will rise from the dead as well. So let's keep looking at what that looks like in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was the man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What he's saying here is that it's worth it. 
like following Jesus and experiencing the brokenness of this world and giving up some of the pleasures that this world offers is worth it. He wants you to hear, like, I know that you are fearing, feeling tired and worn down from fighting sin in your life, and you feel like it's never going to end, but there will be a day where you will be raised to power, and sin will no longer have a, an effect on you. It'll be like the ability that a dust particle floating through the air has the ability to move you. It has no chance to affect you in eternity. And he's also saying, I know that some of you are feeling tired from people talking down your faith. Maybe calling you closed-minded or, or laughing at you that you no longer live the way that you once did. You're not the same person that you were. You don't get to experience the things that we experience, but he wants you to know that there will be a day that you will one day be welcomed to glory and celebrated by God who created everything. Or I know right now all you can think about is how far off from Christ you are. Like you look at your sin and you, you read about the beauty of Christ in the text and you're like, I am not like that. But there will be a day that you will be indistinguishable from Christ and his perfection and glory. Though you are giving up the desires that the rest of this world is running after, you are doing so because you know that you will experience them to the full in Christ. And so he talks about this change taking place in 50 through 53. Let's look back at the text. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does this, the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. In a moment, this will occur. In the twinkling of an eye. And I just loved that phrase, the twinkling of an eye, but I had no idea what it meant when I first read it. And so I started looking up and I read some articles. I found myself reading this article, what's the difference between a wink, a blink, and a twink? Um, a great read, well, not really. But, so then I was starting to think like, okay, how long does it take for me to blink? You know, I was trying to measure this. And so I pulled out my phone and I spent the next five minutes trying to time this. I was like, bam, I'm like, oh, didn't get it. And then I'm like, oh, I just blinked twice. That doesn't count. And so I, I kept trying and it was about five minutes. I was like, you know what? I just can't do it. Like this is unable for me to measure. I can't do this. And so then he, he says not a, a blinking of the eye, but in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, what he's saying is that a twinkle Get, get with me, happens in a fraction of the time that it takes for you to blink. And I'd ask you, if you were to blink right now, how much do you feel like you've changed? Like what's going on in your heart? Like how much do you think you've grown? And you're like, Drake, I don't think I've grown that much this whole semester, let alone that last half second or whatever that was. Why is he using this terminology? He's doing it because he's saying that there's a moment in your future that is so sudden, that is so immeasurably quick that you will be transformed from broken and dying away to absolutely perfect and immortal. 
that this moment will be so fast, so rapid, that you won't even experience what death is like because you will immediately be adorned with righteousness and able to dwell with God forever. Therefore, we are able to cry out, as verse 55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Because we are no longer going to experience that death. It is no longer death that is creeping in day after day, but rather we are now approaching our new resurrected selves closer and closer with each day. That's what he means by none shall fall asleep, none shall die, but you will be changed. Like, think about that. Your last exhale on this earth is going to seamlessly transition into your first breath in heaven. Immediately with God. For the believer in the room, walking on earth is the closest to hell you will ever be. And for those who haven't put their faith in Jesus, this is the closest grasp of heaven you can ever reach. So what he's saying is that we look to the victory of Christ because in his resurrection, he has given us so much more than whatever this world can offer us. Like our faith isn't pointless, but there's incredible purpose in us following Jesus with our lives. And because Christ has already won the victory for us, it means that we are now a people who get to walk in victory. Let's look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The text is showing us that our future reality makes us immovable now. When we experience brokenness and pain and hurt, that reality acts as an anchor as the waves are crashing in. And so what this text is not saying is that, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Like, it is no longer going to be difficult in this life. But what it's saying is that in the midst of feeling the brokenness of this world, you know what is your future. You know that you are going to be resurrected one day with Jesus that the victory has already been won. So guys, I, my wife and I recently walked through easily the most difficult part of our life. So it was three weeks ago today that I, I left Salt Company, I went home, and I had a conversation with my wife and I, I found out that we had lost our first child at 10 months or 10 weeks in the womb. And I was looking forward to this night because I was like, this is around the time that I get to share with you all the celebration of us having a kid. Like this is about the time that we were gonna be able to tell the world the joyous news that we would have. And even when I made the shirts, I had a onesie made with a salt St. Paul so that I could have some matching gear with my baby. And we had dreams of what that life would be like in May. And we, had, we just would talk about it endlessly and then it halted. And instead, my wife and I felt the brokenness of this world in a very real way. 
our first ultrasound experience wasn't the glamorous one that you would imagine. Because it was a paralyzing silence in place of where there should have been a heartbeat. And we cried a lot. We processed. We, we asked questions. I asked questions like, why does my wife have to go through this pain? Why do I have to watch her in this spot? Like, why are you doing this? And we are still walking through this. But I ask you, if you are not in Christ, where do you look to for hope in moments like that? Like the world can offer you temporary pleasures of drinking and sex, but where do you go when you experience the brokenness that it will inevitably give you? Because one thing that my wife and I knew is that though the brokenness of this world took away our first child, it did not take away the victory we have in Christ. Because the anthem of the Christian is to cry out in those moments, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And to raise our hands in worship of our God who has defeated death on our behalf so that it no longer has power on us anymore. Because the paralyzing silence of Christ after he died on the cross was followed with him storming out of the grave and declaring victory over death on our behalf that we know with the greatest certainty that we will rise with him for all of eternity. Though we might walk through this life wounded and with a limp, we know that we have victory in Christ. And this world can never take that away from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I found myself asking the question as I've wrestled with this miscarriage. Drake, do you believe that the resurrection happened? Or when I've found myself tempted to go to other ways to find rest, instead of going to God in the midst of this brokenness, asking myself, Drake, do you believe the resurrection happened? Christian, in this room, are you living your life in a way that says the resurrection actually happened? Because glory be to our God who raised his son from the grave so that we could now be a people that walk in victory. Let's pray. Father, we, we look to you and we... We praise you because we know that this world is broken. God, we feel it in our own hearts. We see it in the brokenness of this world, but we, we know that you are good. We know that you are a father that cares for us, that is with us. And I just pray for anyone who is out there who is in this room looking to find hope in this world, just to ask themselves, how could they find hope in a world that is broken? And that they would draw their eyes up to you tonight, God. Because though we are broken ourselves, we are welcomed into eternity with you, that we will rise and be with you, that we will gaze upon your beauty, that we will dwell in your house for all of eternity. So God, that is why we worship you. That is why we lift up our hands to praise you. God, will you draw our hearts and our minds to you right now? Amen.